Chapter 8 of The Problem Club. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. The Problem Club by Barry Payne. The Impersonation Problem. The terms of the impersonation problem, which came up for adjudication at the 50th meeting of the club, were as follows. It is required to be mistaken for six different people in the course of one hour. Mr. Wildersley, A.R.A., large, cheerful, and childlike, took the chair and observed that it was just as well for other members that the dignified position of adjudicator prevented him from competing, as otherwise he would have been a certain winner. It was a claim that the chairman for the evening very frequently made, but Wildersley was not very serious about it. My profession, he said, would have given me a start of about eighty yards in the hundred. I'm skilled in the rapid use of oil paints. Within the prescribed limit of one hour, I could have painted myself to look like a rabbit or a tomato or a man, or a hole in the ground or any other object of the seashore, so as absolutely to defy detection. Not one of you duffers would have had a chance. Pardon the interruption, said Mr. Quillian, K.C., but the terms of the problem require us to be mistaken for six different people. May I ask the chairman if he would consider a rabbit and a tomato as being people for the purposes of this problem? The time of the chairman, said Wildersley, severely, is not to be wasted on purely hypothetical cases. If, when his turn comes, Mr. Quillian claims to have been mistaken for a rabbit, I shall be ready both to believe it and to adjudicate upon it. And now, gentlemen, we will have the story of your dismal failures. Hesseltine here is acting as secretary tonight, and he may as well get his talking done first, so that he can give his undivided attention to his duties. Well, said Hesseltine, Feldane and I went into partnership this time, as the rules permit. We don't claim to have scored the full six, but we had a lovely time while it lasted. Jimmy had better tell you about it, as he played the lead. Yes, said Jimmy, with a wary smile. It was quite on the amusing side. Involved a lot of work, though, thinking it all out and getting together the properties for the drama. If we scooped fifty-five pounds each over it, we shouldn't be overpaid, but just as we were doing nicely, the bottom fell out of it. However, I'll tell you. The incidents which Jimmy related were as follows. Early on a fine morning, he and Hesseltine were conveyed by a taxicab to a point previously selected on a road on the outskirts of a southwestern suburb here they unloaded their miscellaneous collection of properties and got to work the driver took the cab off to a public house in the vicinity and there awaited further orders hesseltine was disguised as a laborer jimmy who was to act as his boss was got up as to use his own description a sort of semi-scientific clerky person clad in a seedy suit, a pince-nez, and an air of educated wisdom. They began by enclosing a portion of the roadway with stakes and ropes, fixing red flags at the corners of the square. Then Hesseltine entered the enclosure and began vigorously to dig a hole in the road with spick and spade. It was still early, and there were few people about, so Hesseltine's boss condescended to lend a hand with the digging. Afterwards, Felding contented himself with strolling round the hole with a voltmeter borrowed from the taxicab, in one hand, a two-foot rule sticking out of his breast-pocket, and a general air of importance. When the hole was about three feet deep, a sleepy policeman paused on his way past. 
Something wrong with the drains? he asked. Hope not, said Feldin cheerfully. But that's what we're going to find out. We're just putting in the smoke test on this section. I see, said the policeman. You ain't from Mackworth, are you? Mackworth's? Oh, no. We're from Matthews and Biles, the sanitary engineers at Vauxhall. Dare say you know the name. The policeman said he believed he'd heard it and passed on. The game had now definitely begun, and there was only one hour to play it in, and no time to be lost. A small car was approaching with the lady driving. Feldane ran into the road, held up his hand, and stopped it. "'Sorry, ma'am,' he said to the lady, "'but would you mind waiting just for a few seconds? I'm sure you'll understand. We've got an Ericsson's galvanometrical balance working in that hole, and the least vibration would spoil the reading. We shan't be a minute.' "'Certainly,' said the lady. I know something of these delicate instruments. What are you using it for? We're from the post office electrical survey. There's trouble with the telegraph wires here that they can't locate. Of course, if iron pyrites has been used in the construction of the road, that would account for it. We're looking into it. Bill, he called to Hesseltine, what do you make it? Hesseltine examined the bottom of the hole. Steady at 2.5, he called back. Good. Let this car pass, and then set a foot further in. Thank you very much, ma'am. The unsuspecting lady drove on. Hesseltine sat down in the hole and laughed. Jimmy glanced at his watch. That's two and under ten minutes, he said. If we can keep it up at anything like this rate, we ought to do. But for some time after this, passers-by proved curious but unenterprising. They stared with the keenest interest at the proceedings, but did not put in any inquiry. Then an elderly tramp paused on his way into the town. Watermain? he suggested. Aye, said Jimmy. All that work for a little water. Sooner you than me. Almost immediately afterwards, a rather fussy and important little man demanded to know what it was all about. Gas, said Jimmy laconically. There's no gas main in this road, snapped the little man. No, said Jimmy nor likely to be until we've took the level for the pipes. Pass along, please. The little man said that it seemed hopeless to expect a civil answer to a civil question nowadays, but he passed along. Jimmy again consulted his watch. For in half an hour, he observed, we can hardly miss it now. But fate was already on its way in the shape of a young, newly appointed, eager and suspicious policeman. He watched Jimmy and Hesseltine for a minute or so in silence. Jimmy made an entry in a pocketbook. All right, Bill, said Jimmy to Hesseltine. You can fill in again now. What do you think you're doing? asked the policeman. Rubberite road construction, said Jimmy. They're putting down an experimental section here, and this is just a preliminary testing. Don't they put no notice board up with the name of the firm on? They will, of course, as soon as the actual work begins. I have their card. This printed card had been one of Jimmy's properties. The policeman slipped it into his pocket. I've no doubt it's all right, said the policeman, but I'll just show this card to make sure. Certainly, said Jimmy, that's the thing to do. You'll find they know all about it up at the station. The game was up. As soon as the policeman was round the corner, Jimmy dashed off to fetch the taxi, while Hesseltine completed the work of filling in the hole and getting their various properties together. They had at least the satisfaction of getting clear away before the policeman returned. 
the chairman when he heard the story said that if everybody had their rights it was probable that two of the younger members of the problem club would now be in prison but he would allow them a score of five all the same the fifth score might seem a little doubtful but the young policeman has said that he believed it was all right and if he had not would probably have taken stronger measures the chairman also refused to admit Quillian's objection that the conspirators had been mistaken for imaginary people. People might be real or imaginary, and the subtle editor of the pig-keeper's friend had not indicated that either meaning was excluded. A further protest by Major Biles and Mr. Matthews against the scandalous use that had been made of their names for the firm of sanitary engineers was not taken seriously. But the major may have been embittered by the completeness of his own failure. With the help of a grey wig and beard and some shabby clothes, he had intended to call at six different back doors and to represent in succession six different people, a beggar, a fortune-teller, a vendor of cheap jewellery, and so forth. But the first back door at which he called was his own, and there he was immediately recognised by a house-dog and by his own kitchen-maid. His subsequent explanation that he had been merely doing it for a bet had not been well received. He did not give details, but it was gathered that Mrs. Biles had had a good deal to say on the subject. Lord Herngill had done very little better. He had attempted no disguise at all. His idea had been, in the course of travel on the Bakerloo Tube Railway, to get into conversation with six different people and to tell six plausible but erroneous stories about himself. His statement that he personally had driven the first train that had passed under the Thames in that tube, being in fact the consulting engineer of the company, was received by an old lady with great interest and not the slightest suspicion. He then changed into another carriage and found an opportunity to tell a young curate that though he lived within ten miles of London, he had never been there in his life before. He was only there then because he had to see property that he had inherited at Swiss Cottage. And could the curate tell him at all where Swiss Cottage was? That question was his undoing. I can not only tell you, said the smiling curate, but, as it happens, I am going there myself, and it will give me much pleasure to have your company. And by the time that he had got rid of that curate, it was hopeless to attempt his remaining impersonations within the prescribed time. It was generally felt that in a matter of impersonation, Lord Herngill, on his previous character, should have done better. Mr. Quillian had bestowed six shillings on six different crossing-sweepers. Five of them had said, Thank you, my lord, and the other had said, thank you captain on this he claimed to have won as it was obvious that all five crossing sweepers could not have mistaken him for the same peer it was pointed out to him by the chairman that there was not the slightest evidence that any one of those crossing sweepers had made any mistake at all for once pusely smith had failed to compete and said that he had been too busy it was suggested that his time had been taken up with spending his winnings from the previous month mr matthews also had taken no part in the competition the reason he gave was simple cowardice the ghastly breakdown of his attempt to impersonate an old lady for the purposes of the kiss problem had spoiled his nerve for anything of the kind in the future the disgraceful adventure of feldane and hesseltine seemed likely to be the nearest approach to the problem-setter's requirements until sir charles bunford was called on for his experiences sir charles claimed to have won i came to the conclusion said sir charles that the man who asks for something or tries to sell something is likely to create an atmosphere of suspicion. On the other hand, the man who gives something, even to a complete stranger, will have his explanatory story accepted without question. 
the fact that he stands to lose by the transaction is accepted as evidence of his genuineness. With this conviction, and with such disguise as I thought advisable, I called at various houses all in one row in the Williston neighbourhood. I was accompanied by a covered handcart, propelled by a boy hired for the purpose. Inside the handcart were the gifts that I had prepared for the occupants of the houses. Taking from the handcart a fruitcake in a paper bag, I rang at the first house and requested the dirty little girl who opened it to fetch her dear mamma. Mamma appeared, wiping her hands on her apron, and looking displeased with life in general and me in particular. "'Good morning, lady,' I said. "'I am instructed by my employers to ask you if you will do them the favour of accepting as a present this fruitcake of their manufacture. They are shortly opening a branch in this neighbourhood, and are taking this method of making ladies acquainted with the quality of their goods. It is, in fact, an advertisement.' After assuring herself again that there was nothing to pay, and that the consumption of the cake would not bind her to deal with my firm, Messrs. Butterstone and Co., in future, she consented to accept the cake, and even to say that it seemed a straight way of doing business. She inquired where the new shop would be, which I told her, and what the price of a similar cake would be if she ever wanted to buy one. I put it at half what I had paid for it, and she said it was a pleasant morning. Never for one moment did she doubt that I was what I had represented myself to be. At the next house, with equal success, I presented half a pound of butter as a sample of the products of the Farm Creameries Company, and a similar story. The third house got a tablet of scented soap from an enterprising chemist who was just starting in business in the neighbourhood. At the next three houses, I distributed, as free advertising samples, a pound of sausages, a box of cigarettes, and a small bottle of whisky. It took longer than I had expected, because the ladies had such a lot of questions to ask about the new shops that were to be opened, but I finished six minutes under the hour. Of course, I could have carried all the goods round in a basket, but the handcart looked more like a house-to-house -house distribution on a large scale. The decision was not given in favour until after Quillian had raised an objection. He maintained that in each case Sir Charles had been mistaken for the same thing, to wit, the representative or agent in advance of a business firm but the chairman's decision that sir charles had been mistaken for six different representatives of six different firms was generally approved and as no other member had a claim to make the cheque was handed to him the chairman then opened the sealed envelope containing the problem on which their ingenuity was next to be expended it was entitled the alibi problem and the terms of it were as follows it is impossible for a man to be in two places at once but it is required so to arrange matters that bona fide evidence would be procurable that at a certain hour of a certain day or night you were in two places at once the two places to be not less than one hundred miles from each other not uninteresting said the reverend septimus cunliffe but it leaves a good deal to the discretion of the chairman who will have to decide which of us could produce the best evidence that the impossible had been accomplished by the way who is the next chairman should have been Harding Pope, said Wildersley, but as he's gone, it will be the member elected in his place, our old friend Leonard, Lord Herngill. My poor abilities are at your service, said Lord Herngill, laughing, at London's lowest prices always. End of chapter 8 The Impersonation Problem